are listening to the Heartland Author Podcast. I am Aaron Apollo Camp. For this episode, I have the opportunity to interview Gina Mundy. Gina, an attorney, is the author of A Parent's Guide to Safer Childbirth, a must-read book for expecting parents. I'm here with Gina Mundy, who is an attorney and the author of A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth. Gina, welcome to the Heartland Author Podcast. Uh, Thank you, Erin, and I'm uh, excited to talk to you today. Feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Um, Like you said, my name is Gina Mundy, and I have been a childbirth attorney for over... 20 years now Um, and what that is is basically if something happens during the birth of a child the baby is not born healthy um, and there is a lawsuit um, you know that is then filed or whatnot then I'm one of the attorneys um, for the case so I've done this for uh, as I said over 20 years and when I get these cases in it's kind of my job to say okay what went wrong, why, and more importantly, you know, what decisions could have been made so baby could have been uh, born healthy. You know, in some sad cases, um, unfortunately, mom doesn't make it through uh, childbirth. So anyway, I took this 20 years of experience, um, you know, trying to answer those questions has taken me across the United States more than once, meeting with various members of a delivery team, doctors, midwives, nurses, and just, you know, hashing out every single aspect of labor and delivery and going through decision making and all that. So based upon that experience, I wrote a book to parents. Um, And it's called, like you said, um, A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth. So basically, instead of getting involved in the aftermath of a mistake or a complication where something went wrong, I'm trying to get involved now before childbirth in hopes that um, you know, we can prevent some of these complications and mistakes. Now, without spoiling too much of your book, A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth, you've already uh, given a basic introduction, but, uh, but uh, is there anything more that you can add uh, about your book that wouldn't spoil too much of it? Oh, you know what? I, it's one of those books that I'm willing to spoil because I'm just trying to get this information out there. Um, but basically, chapter one um, are all of the lessons that you know I've taken from the cases over the years. So whether it's a lesson from the families you know, who lost a baby or who lost a mom or whether it's from one of the you know doctors or nurses or maybe it's one um a lesson from one of the medical experts. Uh, that's chapter one. And actually that, if you know anyone who's expecting, that chapter is actually so important. I have it on my website at ginamundy.com. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Um, and they can download it for free. Because if you know these lessons as an expecting parent or an expecting grandparent, uh, you know, you definitely be sitting pretty. Uh, and then what I did is each one of the lessons in chapter one is then a subsequent chapter. So the first lesson would then be chapter two, second lesson is chapter three, and that's when I elaborate on it and say, okay, you know, if this happens during your labor and delivery, this is what you need to know, this is what you need to think about, and so forth. 
But what makes probably my book different than any other pregnancy book or book on childbirth is that, you know, I have just different content, different information, because remember, I'm an attorney. I'm not, I have no medical training. So this is, you know, it's a different perspective. So for instance, chapter 11, I go through the 10 most common facts and issues, you know, in a legal baby case, because unfortunately, there are some reoccurring issues in these cases. And at least if families know about them, it will help, um, you know, bring awareness. It'll help them have an understanding of, you know, what's important, what's not important, um, and whatnot. For instance, hands down, the number one most common factor issue in my cases is a drug called Pitocin. So Pitocin stimulates mom's um, uterus, so it contracts, and that kind of kickstarts labor. So it's called inducing labor. But that uh, drug is in most of my cases. So if mom, dad, grandpa, whatever, anyone, you know, any family members know mom is getting a Pitocin induction, well, now you know that that is, you know, when mistakes happen, complications occur. Um, you know, unfortunately, when that happens, like I said, you know, a lot of times baby doesn't make it or, you know, there's an injury to baby that's permanent or sometimes even mom. So then in my book, it would solve, you know, how to have, you know, a safe Pitocin induction because I've seen the mistakes and whatnot for the past 20 years. So, yeah, it's, you know, it not only identifies some issues, but it solves everything because I wrote, tech I started writing this for my kids. Um, I have uh, older daughters now. And uh, so something had happened in our family where it made me think of, you know, what if I wasn't around for the birth of my grandkids? Because, you know, childbirth and labor and delivery is, you know, it's been my life for over 20 years. So that's why I started writing everything down. And, you know, once I went from attorney to author, I mean, what we learned from these cases is just invaluable. So that's, you know, probably a good, a good nutshell. And like I said, if any of your listeners want to head over, you know, download that chapter one for free. And that's really a good outline of what you need to know heading into uh, childbirth. So that's it. Uh, is your is a parent's guide to safer childbirth? Is that self-published, traditionally published, or was it published via a hybrid press? Oh, I self-published. So, yeah, I made that decision, I don't know, pretty early on. I weighed both of my options, and, you know, these days, I, you know, with everything out there and the resources available to self-published authors, you know, I figured I'd try it. And then, you know, listen, if it doesn't, it doesn't take off like I wanted it to, or I need some more air support from a publisher, highly unlikely, but if I did, you know, I could... It'd be easier to self-publish and then switch over versus, you know, obviously the other way around. So, yeah, no, I made that decision pretty early. So I figured mm -hmm. I also wanted to write a book that was timeless. You know, this is childbirth. This is labor. It, it's literally my job has been the same for 20 years. So this is not only a book that will benefit the moms today, but it's going to benefit the moms of tomorrow, the next the next generation. So, you know, there's also, you know, I have children too. So, you know, it's versus giving my, um, you know, royalties to a publishing company, you know, be something I could, you know, leave my kids with. 
uh, as uh, you've self-published your book and you're more willing than most of the authors on here to spoil large sections of your book, how do you effectively market your book? Oh, yeah, you know, listen, I wrote my book to save babies. So if that means spoiling my book, uh, I'm good. Uh, no, I just, out there with marketing the book, I mean, I think their go-to has been Amazon ads. And then also getting on the different podcasts. You know, I notice sometimes a podcast will air and boom, you know, I'll have a bunch of book sales and I'll be like, nice. So, and you know, it's different podcasts. Like I, I'm here, you know, this is more of an author podcast. So, but because I'm here talking about my book and my experience, you know, uh, you know, someone else who's an author may have a daughter, uh, sister, brother, whoever, you know, who's expecting. So just even jumping, it doesn't really matter what kind of podcast. Cause also it's, you know, the fact of taking, you know, 20 years experience and trying to, um, you know, write or writing a book about that was, uh, that was interesting. But, um, yeah, just getting <laughs> social media. So I've always been a, an extremely private person. So this one's a little difficult for me. Um, but, you know, just trying to get out there now on social media. And then um, when you're like a local author, um, I know in my community, I'm in Michigan, um, the, the papers, magazines are all over it. So just getting some articles out there. Um, and again, I'll see an article, an article will come out on me, um, whether it's the paper, a magazine, and then you look, I look at the sales and boom, you know, more book sales. So, but, you know, I think, I think everybody's on the same page here with, you know, anything that they can do to make sure that we have some, you know, healthy babies. Because I'll tell you, the families and the cases, you know, you're never the same. If you lose a mom or a baby, you know, precious little life, to something that you know could have been preventable it's you're 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 forever changed so you know just getting the word out and organically um and you know i wrote the book for my kids so they would have you know a safe you know my, my grandkids would be nice and healthy so it's funny i'm seeing a lot of grandmas who actually like my book um because just you know i wrote it kind of to keep my grandkids safe. They're reading it for the same reason. So that's been kind of cool because even though I really did write it to expecting parents, I'm figuring out pretty quick that it's actually grandparents that, you know, when you when you put all of this stuff in there, um, you know, they're the ones that really want to know and they want to step in and not only protect their kids, but their, you know, future grandkids. So it's even just trying to identify the market um, you know, who's really buying the book and whatnot. But those are probably, I know podcasts are just huge. So any, anytime you can get on a podcast and talk about your book, especially if you have like a mission behind it, I think it really helps. What are some secrets behind writing a good nonfiction book? Time. And passion. Um... So writing the book ended up being therapy for me that I didn't even know I needed. Um, you know, when you deal with or, you know, you have to say, you know, dead baby, dead mom, brain damage. When you say those every day of your life, it actually impacts you in ways you could never imagine. And so when I started writing the book, um, 
um, I had to go back through my cases and remember all of the families and where are they at now. And <clears throat> the crying started for about three months and it didn't, st you know, it, it was every day. I couldn't stop. Um, I basically, I'm still a partner at a law firm. I'm a mom of three kids. I'm a wife of a very busy business owner. Like, I wrote my book starting at 3 a.m. every single day for 14 months. So those first three months, there was a lot of crying, a lot of tears. But as I wrote, I knew that I could take their stories and I could take, you know, what they had gone through to try to help prevent this in the future. And I knew and I know I had the knowledge to do it. So once that became so once the crying stopped the clarity hit you know those emotions were like this this catalyst that just pushed me to where when it was 3 a.m every single day for 14 months i was excited because i knew that i was going to you know write something that you know will help will help these fam will help families so i had this this passion and this drive um that I, you know, I can't, I can't really explain, but when you have that, I think the words flow better and what, you know, and I would sit, like I was talking to my kids when they would, when I'd come up to, you know, an issue that had to be solved. So, you know, almost like having your avatar, like who are you writing this to and what do they need to know? So, you know, there's the passion and then the time. My book took me thousands of hours all day long. And towards the end, it was weekends I started taking some time off work, family got pushed aside. I mean, it, there is thousands of hours in this book. So I think it's, you know, it's passion, it's time. Um, you know, you have to give up a lot. You know, friends and family didn't see me for 14 months. It, it was, you know, it is what it is. So, uh, you know, and then of course now I'm out marketing the book and no one still sees me, but it's okay. Everyone's used to it. And because of, you know, what the book ended up being and whatnot, everything everybody understands. But yeah, I think you're just, you're giving things up that maybe are, are hard to do. Um, knowing that it's temporary, putting in the time and having that passion behind it. And you know, your passion or someone's passion would be much different than mine. But if you can get something like that, just to fuel you every single day, game over. What are some common mistakes, whether it be made by medical professionals or others, that uh, are made during the labor and de delivery processes? So, in chapter 11, as we talked about it, there's the common ones. So, a, a busy labor and delivery unit um, unfortunately is very common when mistakes are made or there's complications. So think about it. Babies come when they want to come. So, you know, the, a labor and delivery unit can become overwhelmed pretty quick, especially in a highly populated area. And when that happens, you have the delivery teams that are running hard and they're thin. So when that happens, you know, they can't stay at the patient's bedside like they probably want to. And when they're not at the bedside or they're not, they don't have, you know, the full undivided attention, you know, things get overlooked. Um, maybe there's a delay um, in the book. I have a really sad story. Um, now, it's very general. It's not, you know, it, it just it's just there to get the point across. Um, but I had a mom get to labor and delivery 
she was term and there were some concerns about the baby but then everybody was reassured that baby was going to be okay so the very busy uh, team left the room and and when they came back um, they had they couldn't find the baby's heart rate so let me back up just a little bit so the story makes more sense you gotta remember baby is inside mom my baby's in the uterus you can't look at baby like you can look at mom and you know make a diagnosis of some kind or whatnot if you look at mom and you're like mm, you're not looking great you look a little swollen or you're in pain doctor nurse will be like what's wrong what's going on mom communicates back they figure it out babies just very different but one way that they can tell if baby's okay during uh, labor is by looking at their heart rate um, so for instance I'm a non-medical person I can look at a baby's heart rate and I can tell you if baby is struggling or if baby's a rock star anyway so I, I talk about that in the book a lot um, you know having an idea of your baby's heart rate because I had a doctor testify really the only way a baby can talk to a doctor you know is through their heart rate that means whoever can understand their heart rate or at least have a good idea on what it means it's like the baby can talk to them anyway so there were concerns about the baby when they um, when they started the, the baby's heart rate uh, again like I said they became reassured that the baby would be okay um, and when the team was gone the heart rate stopped graphing and the family was in the room family just did not understand at that point the importance of making sure that heart rate graphs so they could watch baby um, now if they my book this is in my book you gotta you know if there are any concerns you gotta keep the heart rate going and and if it's not you need to notify the delivery team you know but anyway they did um, they did not you know notify anybody and then when some of the team members came back and they tried to find the baby's heart rate they couldn't um, and that's because the baby had actually passed away um, during during labor um, so you know there's just things like that that you know probably more so that was just a, a busy labor and delivery unit because I can tell you if the, your, the delivery teams, the doctors, nurses, midwives, if there's any concerns about the baby, I mean, they're on it. They're going to prioritize, um, you know, that patient versus maybe a mom who stalled out in labor and she's not progressing anymore. So, but, you know, you have to have, you know, families have to have an understanding, and that's one of the lessons about childbirth. So it's more like they can work with their delivery team. Like, hey, I know you're busy, eyes are off, but, you know, we know that the baby, you know, the heart rate needs to be graphing. If you could please help us, great. You know, and then they readjusted it, you know, maybe figure out, you know, oh, okay, baby's not doing great, and then they'll move and take the next steps. So, you know, I think there's two lessons right there. Just number one, you got to know what to do if you walk into a busy labor and delivery unit. Number two... Um, that really would include having an understanding of childbirth and exactly what you need to know so you can work with your delivery team and make sure that baby arrives safely. Um, another lesson or mistake, I don't know if it's much, much mistake, it's more of a 
common fact in, in a legal case is probably the best way to say it. But um, most mistakes and complications occur after uh, mom's water breaks. So there's the amniotic fluid surrounding baby. That's, you know, the water. And basically as labor gets going or whatnot, um, sometimes the doctor will, you know, break a mom's water. Um, sometimes it occurs naturally. But once that happens, that's when, you know, you have to have all eyes on baby, make sure baby's doing okay, because for those, you know, months before, baby's in their comfy, you know, environment. And, you know, now once the water rushes out, everything's changing. So, um, you know, it's just important that that would be another key. Okay, well, we got to make sure we have an eye on baby and then and whatnot. So, I mean, those are some of the, I think, important lessons. Pitocin, busy labor and delivery unit, knowing that complications arise more so after your water breaks. And that really, as parents, you know, you need to prepare for childbirth and have an understanding of what you're walking into because, you know, everybody's expecting a baby these days and it's like, oh, let's get the nursery ready. Um, let's get some nice outfits for babies, some really cute clothes, and what kind of diapers are we going to use? And, and there's a lot of preparing for when baby comes home. But I can tell you my experience, you know, there needs to be uh, – enough time to spend preparing for childbirth. And when you do that, you know, you can do it in the comfort of your own home. You can text, you can call, you can, you know, do it, do what you need to do versus when you get to the hospital and they're trying to give you options and you're just trying to make decisions. And, you know, you enter into, um, when you go into labor, it's like, you know, I've had um, the kids and, while I went into labor with the first one, I didn't for the other ones, but you go into it, you're just in a completely different state of mind. It's the one time in life where you're, where you're okay to be in pain. So, uh, so getting ready for that, getting ready for that time is, uh, is very important. But I would say those are probably the, the top lessons. As an attorney, you often get involved in childbirth cases before there is a difficult childbirth. Why do you get involved before a mother uh, uh, goes into childbirth, and how do you avoid being seen as an ambulance chaser? Oh, well, that's easy. I'm actually not um, an attorney for, um, for the families. I'm actually the attorney for the hospital, the doctors, the nurses, the midwives, uh, residents. So I'm not, um, I'm not the ambulance chaser chasing the families. <laughs> so, okay. um, so that one's easy. Um, but you know, my goal is just to prevent these mistakes from happening. Um, so that's why I'm trying to get involved before. I'm just trying to give parents, um, you know, just the knowledge that they need to help them because, um, you know, basically, you know, I, I think my kids are, you know, when it comes to childbirth and whatnot, you know, they'll, they'll be prepared in a much different way because I'm their mom. So they're going to, everything with them is going to be a lot different than maybe how, you know, a normal family may prepare for childbirth because of what I've seen 
in what I know. So basically, it's more of the decision to, uh, you know, put that book out there. So not only will, you know, my kids benefit, um, and my grandkids, but other families too. Oh, I thought you represent like patient side of court cases. Uh, you actually represent like the sides of medical institutions and professionals. No, it's interesting because in the podcast, um, so a lot of times before I start a podcast, I've actually started telling everybody that because everyone seems very confused. I wrote a book to the families when I'm the hospital's attorney. So no, it's, uh, you listen, the doctors and the nurse, when you're you know, involved in childbirth and bringing new life into the world. I mean, no, they don't want these mistakes or complications to occur. So, you know, that's, uh, they, they want parents. I, you know, I had a labor and delivery nurse read my book before it was published just to get her opinion on it. And I'll never forget that day she called me and she was like, if every parent knew this, this stuff. She's like, it would make my job so much easier. Everything would be more smooth. They would understand. She she wants it to be like mandatory reading. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, that's, it's not, but it, it's, it's interesting. It, most people who do not know me um, and where I'm a guest on a show or whatnot. Yes. And you know, it's funny when we started, I forgot to tell you and look where it got me. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, interesting. Now, my final question is about work-life balance. How do you, how did you balance writing a book, being a partner in a law firm, being a mother of three children, and being the wife of a business owner? It's very difficult. And you should add in there, I still work out most days. Uh, no. So, Basically, like I said, um, I had to start operating basically in the middle of the night when the world is sleeping. That was um, definitely a key. So, and I had to give up every, you know, give up stuff. So maybe those fun times that I used to have, we don't really have them anymore. Um, but you know, my family is my priority, and spending time with them and and whatnot. So basically, I had to make the decision that. Uh, I pretty much go to bed at like seven o'clock every day. Um, so I make dinner or we have dinner and then um, my husband takes over. That's been his job. He then has to, you know, make sure the kids are in bed, ready for the next day. And then I'm up at three, uh, you know, doing what I do. But it's, yeah, it's, I never woke up at, never thought in a million years I would ever wake up at 3 a.m. and work. Like it's, it's uh, whatnot. It's hard, and you know, I'll tell you, it's not the easiest. Um, you know, especially when I got near publishing date, and then the this summer, I was, my book was published in uh, June of this summer, June 2023, and you know, last week my son's sitting there in front of my desk crying, saying, "I want my mom back." So I'm doing my best, but it's still hard, and I and I promised him. You know, um, you know how the book's going and stuff like that. There's stuff, and I understand things. There's going to be stuff where now I'm going to be able to delegate. So I, at my firm, I have people under me who help me and assistants, secretaries, legal, you know, legal assistants. Same thing with the book world. I need to hire um, people and then delegate. And I've always had a hard time doing that, especially when something's so new. So delegating, I think, is 
huge and just setting your schedule and then sticking sticking with it and just you know just doing your best you know there's a lot of times we uh we sit down to watch a family movie and i am i just my i just fall over i just fall right asleep i can't (laughs) so it's uh but i know that there is the books out there's uh there's an end in sight but it's uh it's interesting it's um it's not easy but if you know that going in and you try to do your best you know it'll it'll work out i know in this time next year, I'm going to be in a much different place, meaning probably have more time with the family and you know and whatnot. I'll have my processes in place and all that good stuff. Gina, you were a wonderful guest for this podcast, and I thank you for appearing on the Heartland Author Podcast. Oh, thank you, Aaron, for having me. You uh, you're doing some great work out there for authors and. I watched your YouTube videos, and yeah, you're pretty amazing. So having on and having me on meant a lot. So thank you very much. Gina was a wonderful guest to interview, and I'll make sure to put a link to her website in the text description of the episode. This is Aaron Apollo Camp reminding y'all to write your imagination. Bye for now. You can learn more about me and my book writing projects at camparenapollo.witsite.com forward slash author AAC. You can follow me on Facebook at author AAC and on Instagram at AAC Scribe. Copyright 2023, Aaron Apollo Camp, all rights reserved. This podcast episode is intended for the private listening of our audience. Any reuse or retransmission of this podcast episode without the express written consent of the podcast host is prohibited, except under fair use guidelines. Royalty-free music and sound effects obtained from https colon forward slash forward slash www.zapsplat.com.